Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome. I'm Chris, the pastor at Compass, and I'm really glad that you're with me today. And can I tell you about a pet peeve of mine? I absolutely hate it when I burn my tongue on hot food. I hate it. Like when you eat a piece of hot pizza and the cheese just blasts the roof of your mouth, or you take uh, too big of a sip of scorching hot coffee. I hate it. One time when it was dinner time at our house, uh, Terry called us down and we all gathered around the table for her famous white chicken chili. I was really hungry. I was hangry maybe. And so as soon as this bowl of chili was in front of me, I took a huge bite and then immediately spit it out because it was crazy hot. When I tell you it was too hot to eat, I think that's an understatement. I think it would be more accurate to say that my wife dug a hole to the center of the earth, scooped up some lava, put some chicken and beans on it, and then served it up with crackers and a spoon. I burned my mouth so bad that I had blisters on my tongue. I considered suing for damages, but I figured it wasn't worth the legal fees. But whether it's by food, uh, fire, or a hot stove, getting burned is miserable. But there's another kind of burn that might actually be the most painful, and that's when we get burned by other people. It's not by heat, but it's by their actions and their words. Let's do this. Think about a person who has burned you in the past, okay? Think of someone who hurt you or betrayed you, and it could be a small offense that you can't seem to let go of, or it could be something traumatic. It could have happened years ago, or it could have happened this morning. Now, I have no doubt that each of us had someone come to mind very quickly because we've all been burned. But even though we've all been burned by someone, uh, like a boss who fired you, a friend who abandoned you, a family member who betrayed you, it's still hard to get through it. So what do we do when it happens? How do we get over it? Especially when there's this very realistic fear that we could get burned again. Well, that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks as we look at a dialogue that Jesus had in the Gospel of Matthew about this topic. And we're going to begin in Matthew 18, verse 15. This is what Jesus said. He said, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, this thing that Jesus just said is something that many people refer to as church discipline. It's a template for how to deal with someone who has sinned against you or or burned you. And honestly, it's it's a ruthlessly practical way to confront and discipline that person. So let me walk you through the process of how Jesus says a person should be disciplined when they burn you, okay? So first you go to the person who's burned you in private and you confront them with what they did. If that person repents of their sin at that point, you're still good, you're you're fine, case closed. But if they don't repent, you get one or two other people to act as witnesses and you confront them again with their sin. Now, this is kind of wise because the accused person can't misrepresent anything that you said after the fact. You've got them cornered. 
And if they don't repent after that, you take them before the entire church assembly to face the accusation for their sin. And if they go through that entire process and they still don't repent of their sin, they are to be treated as pagans and tax collectors. And here's why. Because good and righteous Jewish people in Jesus' day, they didn't associate with tax collectors or pagan Gentiles at all. And so this ultimate punishment here is that unrepentant sinners are to be excommunicated and cut off from the church community. If that sounds harsh, it's because it is. This process of church discipline that I've just described is designed to identify and expel sin from the church by isolating and confronting the sinner and then ultimately excommunicating them if they don't repent. Church discipline is how we protect the purity of the church and punish those who violate it. I mean, this process has been practiced in churches for years to expel unrepentant sinners from congregations. And it's the model that many Christians have used to respond to the people who have burned them. Confrontation, accusation, and ultimately excommunication. Maybe this project process has been applied to you. Maybe you were cut off from a church or a friend group or even your family because of sexual sin, a difference in doctrinal beliefs, or because you burned somebody else. And as a result, you had to be treated like a pagan or tax collector. So that's how we should ultimately treat the people who have burned us and won't admit them and won't admit that they're wrong. We treat them like pagans and tax collectors. But there is one question about this that makes me a little uncertain. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? When pagans and tax collectors crossed Jesus's path or they wanted something from him, what did he do? Well, he talked to them. He went into their homes. He ate with them. He even made one of them his disciple. Matthew, the person who wrote this story down, he was a tax collector when Jesus invited him to be one of the 12 disciples. So what are we supposed to do with that? Because church discipline seems like the opposite of how Jesus acted. Well, you can't really understand what Jesus said without seeing it through the lenses of what he did. I imagine Jesus saying it this way. He, he said, when somebody burns you, go confront them. And everyone around him was like, yeah. And then he said, if they don't listen, bring more people to confront them. And everyone was like, yeah, you tell them, Jesus. And then Jesus said, if they still don't listen, bring them in front of everyone. And the people were like, yeah, that'll teach them. And then Jesus said, if they still don't repent, treat them like tax collectors. And the crowd roared. Yeah, that'll teach them, punish them, Jesus. And then Jesus sat quietly, just looking at them. And I think the excitement at punishing sinners started to die down a little bit as they thought about what Jesus said a little bit more. And then as they get it, Jesus, just, he winks at them. And as he does, it dawns on the crowd. Jesus isn't saying to treat people like the world treats pagan and tax collectors. He's saying to treat them like I treat them with love and forgiveness. What if we've been looking at this all wrong? What if this passage isn't really about church discipline, about punishing and expelling people who burn us? What if it's about something else entirely? 
be able to fully grasp what Jesus is saying here, I think we need to take a deeper look at the context and the way that all of this was understood by the people Jesus was speaking to. And so first, the context. And specifically, we're going to look at what comes before this teaching in the Bible and what comes right after this teaching in the Bible. And right before Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talked about how we are to embrace humility in our relationships with God and each other. And he talked about how we are to avoid actions that cause people to stumble, that there are things in this world that hurt vulnerable people, and we are to recognize those things and avoid engaging in them. And then Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep, where he talked about how in addition to avoid to avoid harming the most vulnerable among us, we're actually to seek out and care for them. Jesus has actually been describing the foundational values and practices that define his community of disciples, what his kingdom looks like lived out in the world. Jesus has been talking about his followers will relate to each other and care for each other right before he talks about the teaching we're talking about today. And even if you look at what we're talking about today, it's right there in the language of this passage. I mean, Jesus says, if a brother or sister burns you, there's a relationship here that matters. And notice that Jesus never actually says, if they repent, you have won them over. He says, if they listen. That's a big difference. He could have said the word repent, but he didn't. And the word listen doesn't imply repentance. It doesn't even imply that they admitted they did anything wrong. It doesn't imply complete agreement on the issue. It just means they heard you. That the relationship is important enough that even though there may not be agreement on the specific conflict, that that person hears you out with an open mind and an open heart. And while they may hear you out and and while they may not hear you out and apologize for wronging you, the real power is found in moving forward in love and mutual respect because At the end of the day, it isn't about correcting someone who's wrong, but about keeping a relationship strong. But don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at how the first church understood what Jesus taught. We can see it in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. The writer says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And then Paul writes in Philippians 2.2, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. This letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church at the time, there were two leaders at this church who were having a conflict. And if you read this letter, if you read Philippians all the way through from start to finish at one time, you can see Paul addressing this conflict everywhere in his letter. He was encouraging the Philippian church and the people who had this conflict to seek unity. Let's look at Romans 12, 18. Paul writes, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here Paul even acknowledges that it won't be possible to live at peace with everyone because some people are just going to be too difficult to allow it. But as much as it's in your power... Pursue unity and peace. Then he writes in Galatians 6.1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If someone burns you or is caught in a sin, what should our goal be? To restore them. 
And finally, he writes in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The first century church, the church that was closest to Jesus, that we find in the New Testament, it was absolutely chock full of disagreements, disputes, arguments, and people who had burned each other. And when you understand that, when you read the New Testament, you'll start to see the calls for unity, the calls for restoration, and the calls for forgiveness absolutely everywhere. In fact, there's, one, there's only one time in the whole New Testament where excommunication is recommended for a person, and that was for a sin that was damaging the entire church community. And even then, Paul encouraged the church to welcome that person back after a time in the hope that unity could be restored. Because in a world full of sin, division, and burned people, and this is our main point today, in that world, Jesus wants restoration, not discipline. In his very practical approach to dealing with the people who've burned us, Jesus' purpose in all of this is not to punish them, but to restore the relationship. And it may not always be possible, but Jesus' followers should be people of reconciliation rather than division. And while this process is eminently practical in terms of how we relate to people here on earth, there is a spiritual dimension to it as well. Because Jesus wraps up his whole teaching by saying this in verse 18, Truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. You see, when we pursue Jesus' vision of restoration, we embody that space where heaven is overlapping earth. That on earth as it is in heaven space, where the values of the kingdom of God are lived out by kingdom people. And it's the place where our restoration efforts on earth, they ripple out into the spiritual dimension where they have eternal heavenly results. And where Jesus himself is present in the restoration and unity of even the smallest number of people. Because where two or three are gathered to address division and hurt, Jesus is there to bring reconciliation and healing. He is present in our unity. Now, I recognize that this is extremely idealistic and challenging. And I acknowledge that some burns are too bad for us even to be in the same room as the person who inflicted them on us. That there are some relationships that are so marked by abuse, abandonment, and pain that even speaking to the person who caused it all is a near impossibility. Some burns are so bad that only God can attend to them. And if that's you, remember, God's heart is for restoration, not discipline. Which means that God's not mad at you if you are too burned to fully engage this process. Because what you may need above all else is restoration and healing for yourself. And God has that for you. Maybe all you can do, as much as it's in your power, is to just go to God for that restoration. And if so, it's enough. But if you're here and you find yourself caught up in disputes, division, disagreements, and you want to see the person who hurt you disciplined for what they did, 
can I encourage you to consider Jesus's way first? I mean, wouldn't you rather pursue the path of restoration where all of the forces of heaven are aligned with you and where Jesus is a present and active participant in your life? The effort may not always work, but as far as it depends on you, pursue restoration. Because when it works, you've won a brother or sister. And even when it doesn't, you've invited the active and powerful peace of God into your life. And either one of those things can heal your burns. So may we be people of restoration who pursue reconciliation and peace rather than discipline and punishment. And in all of our relationships, even those with people who've burned us, may we live like Jesus lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught. Thanks for joining me, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.